Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Monday edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Now, normally on a Monday, um, and it won't be any different, we review a great sporting weekend. However, before we start the program um, and review the weekend, there was a development last Friday here in South Africa, for those of you who might be living in a cocoon um, or somewhere under a rock, that Cricket South Africa made a decision to remove the captaincy from David Tiger, who is a young Jewish kid who is uh, and has been the captain of the under-19 cricket team for the uh, past couple of seasons and was due to lead the team to the under-19 Cricket World Cup that is going to be taking place here in South Africa. Now, there are a couple of stories that are, no, more than a couple. There are a lot of stories that are going around. Um, and sometimes it's difficult to be impartial when it comes to some of the things that go on in the world of sport, depending, of course, on what your convictions are. And here on our program, from the boardroom to the locker room, we've always tried to give as much of a balanced opinion as we possibly can. However, one of the guests, well, I can't even call him a guest because he's refused on a number of occasions and unfortunately has, uh, and I'm happy to share with anybody who wants to see it, written a very nasty email uh, to the uh, producers of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room, refusing to give us his side of the story. So, Mr. Lawson Naidu, your invitation is still there. We are still very happy to speak to you. Um, like we have over 300 episodes of this program. And as of yet, you are the only person in the entire world who has refused to speak to us. I don't know what you're scared of, perhaps the truth. Well, maybe. But sometimes we don't need to talk to somebody for the truth to actually come out. So there are a couple of questions that uh, I'd like to ask. So let me first put it into perspective. The reason that Cricket South Africa have given is that they've taken the captaincy away from David Tiga. They haven't removed him from the team. Let's make this perfectly clear. Um, and he has just completed captaining the team in a Tri-Nation series against a couple of countries, India, Afghanistan, and so on, as captain. Um, and absolutely nothing happened. So the reason Cricket South Africa have given is that they fear that there will be protests, they say, from both sides of the Israel-Hamas spectrum, and due to security concerns, they have taken the captaincy away from him. So let's start off by the first point that I'd like to bring up. How on earth can a cricketing organization who have been given the Under-19 World Cup because of the fact that the country that previously was due to host it, Sri Lanka, lost the Cricket World Cup in their country because of government interference? Number one. Number two. Peaceful protests are allowed in this country. It is part of our constitution. So how can you take away the captaincy from a young cricketer of Jewish faith because you are worried about protests outside a cricket ground where, with the greatest respect to Cricket South Africa, we most probably will have an ice cream seller, three policemen, four police dogs, half a dozen spectators, and the 22 players and officials that will be at the game, maybe a 100 people. Let's be honest, a final different story, especially if South Africa get to the final. So that's point number two. Equally importantly, how is it that Cricket South Africa and the South African police would be unable to control a set of protesters 
who now will most probably come out and protest because it's been highlighted for them to come and protest, who most probably before didn't think anything of it. Um, and then equally importantly, of course, this young kid did say something at a Jewish awards ceremony um, with regards to him being awarded an award as an upcoming hero. And he did mention that he thought that the heroes were the soldiers fighting against the terrorists in Gaza. So he's come out with a statement at a private award ceremony, and he was then taken to a commission, and he was cleared of any wrongdoings at that commission. Furthermore, um, what I'd like to ask Mr. Dawson Naidu and anybody else at Cricket South Africa who's prepared to speak to us, of which there are none, if a member of any team in this country be it cricket, rugby, soccer, whatever, happened to be gay. And the LGBTQ community decided that they were going to have a protest outside the ground where this particular event was going to be played. Would they say that there are security concerns around the person's uh, sexual preferences? And therefore, they would take the captaincy away from that particular individual. I know for a fact and it's not a hidden fact that there are many members of the gay community in many sports, not just in South Africa, but around the world. Um, and none of them have had any issues. I might also add, if you like, um, that peaceful protest is an absolute right of every single individual in this country. So what Cricket South Africa have actually done is not only have they taken the captaincy away from the kid, They've also shown the rest of the world, which clearly we are in the spotlight for right now in South Africa for all the wrong reasons. Um, maybe, no, not maybe, they actually have said that the South African police are toothless and they cannot control any potential violence by a group of people who are supporting a terrorist organization whose sole purpose is terror and violence interesting so there is a, a petition going around around at the moment um many many signatures to that petition there have been many many famous people sportsmen commentators and i don't mean cricket commentators just general commentators um members of the public members of the media um pierce morgan for one i know people don't particularly like always what he has to say but that have come out and accused South African cricket or Cricket South Africa of interference, government interference. And I will remind you that the Cricket World Cup, the under-19 version of it, was actually taken away from Sri Lanka because of government interference. Now, this brings me on to another subject, the International Cricket Council. Well, good on you, ICC, for taking the World Cup away from Sri Lanka and giving it to another government-controlled government-invested cricket organization, which is clearly Cricket South Africa. Furthermore, um, perhaps if the ICC had the teeth that they don't have, not only would they ban South Africa from hosting the Sunday 19 Cricket World Cup, but if they followed the route that they propose with government intervention, and this would really hurt Cricket South Africa, they should suspend the Betway T20 with immediate effect because according to their uh, rules, regulations, policies, procedures, etc., etc., no government intervention should be allowed. Now, 
You may very well have your own thoughts on it, and you're very welcome to express those thoughts to us. Who do I feel sorry for the most, besides, obviously, um, the young kid who has been embroiled in this complete and absolute load of nonsense? I also feel sorry for Neil Brunt, who we'll be talking to on the show tomorrow evening. We won't be discussing this issue with him, I can promise you, because that's the reason what I'm saying why I feel sorry for him, is because he's captaining his country, and all that's going to happen is the media are going to be asking him about the decision that Cricket South Africa made to take the captaincy away from David Tiger. I also feel sorry for the Western Province all-rounder, Juan James, who now becomes the captain of the SA Under-19 team. It has been announced by them that he will captain. The 19-year-old leads the team in the 15th edition of the uh, event. He did previously captain them during a five-match 50-over series against Bangladesh in July last year, where he led the side in the third and fifth matches of the youth series. So, um, Potchestrum. Mm, interesting. Interesting venue. Um, I wonder how many people in Potchestrum have either thoughts on Israel or Palestine, or for that matter, terrorists in Hamas. Well, that's where the first games are going to be played. And after all the exposure that Cricket South Africa have given the political situation, there's no ways you can say that there's no government interference and there's no ways that you can say that cricket will be the winner tomorrow. Right, let's talk about cricket, the real game, the one that's played on the field, not the one that's played in the boardroom of Cricket South Africa and very poorly played in the boardroom of Cricket South Africa. So this weekend, um, there were a couple of very interesting games of cricket. First of all, Kudos has got to go to Jacques Ford and his team for yesterday's full house. And what an atmosphere at Centurion Park, where the home team, the Pretoria Capitals, were well and truly beaten in the end by the Paul Royals. It doesn't look like it. The Royals won by 10 runs. But what a performance by the uh, Paul Royals in putting together a very good total of 210 for three. Guess who? David Miller. Yeah, well, he's not a surprise. 75 of just 42. But I'll tell you who was a surprise, and brilliant for that, Mitchell van Beeren. 72 of just 40 deliveries. And at one stage, at uh, 69 for three, when Josh Butler's wicket fell, you might have thought that the uh, Pretoria Capitals were in with a bit of a shout. Not to be, because that was the last wicket that they lost. 69 for three, they ended up with a massive 210 for three. And then the Pretoria Capitals, well, they got off to a horrific start. Full Philip Salt out off just the second ball of the innings. Tienis de Brain didn't last very long. He got four. And then a good partnership between Will Jackson, Riley, Rousseau. Rousseau also batted quite brilliantly. 82 of 45 balls, 58 of 34 for Jacks. But then I'm afraid nobody else really came to the party and the wickets fell regularly from 151 for two to 151 for three, 153 for four, 163 for five, 175 for six, game over, and 187 for seven. And that was the end of that. Then the other game um, over the weekend, the Sunrisers Eastern Cape. Well, they got a bit of a battering from an incredible John John Smuts who got 75, Nicholas Puran got 60, with Matthew Bretsky getting 43 up at the top of the order, Quinton de Kock 23, a massive 225 for three. And that was uh, way more than needed. Unfortunately, the Sunrisers Eastern Cape, they uh, 190 for nine, so they didn't get there and they lost that one. 
by 35 runs. And then the, I can't, I can't say my Cape Town because it's not my Cape Town. It's our Cape Town. Anyway, the MI Cape Town, Mumbai Indians Cape Town. You also obviously can't say Mumbai, I guess, but MI Cape Town. What a performance by them. Listen to this. 243 for five. 243 for five. And they only lost those five wickets after they got past 200. Russi van der Dersen, 104 of 50 deliveries. And poor Ryan Rickleton. Now, I know I say poor Ryan Rickleton because he got 98 of 49, too short of 100. He also got into the 80s in the first game that they played, which was a loss due to the Duckworth-Lewis system. But the two of them, quite brilliant, put on 200 for the opening partnership in 15 overs and three balls. And then poor Devald Brevis, this kid, he's got so much pressure on his shoulders. He got an absolute butte from Williams. A magnificent catch by Fafdu Pasis. Fafdu Pasis still thinks he's 15, taking amazing catches. But anyway, 243 for five, and the Joburg Kings didn't have a chance. They lost by 98 runs. Uh, Fafdu Pasis was out early for six. Reza Hendricks was run out without scoring. Ronan Herman got nine. Uh, Jakubas Duploy played pretty well for his 48. Romario Shepard got 34 at the end, but unfortunately 145 all out. A mammoth 98-run victory for the MI Cape Town and a good performance by them at that. So what does uh, that tell you with regards to the uh, competition? Well, first of all, let me tell you about the game today. It's the Durban Super Giants at home to the Johannesburg Super Kings. The Super Kings will be looking for a uh, really good result today because they obviously haven't got off to a great start. And then the MI Cape Town at Newlands, the first game tomorrow evening here at the beautiful Newlands Stadium against the defending champions, the Sun Rises Eastern Cape. Now, with regards to the log situation at the moment, I know it's very early days in the uh, competition. Um, but of course, it is important that uh, you look at your run rate in particular and make sure that you don't mess it up. Uh, the Durban Super Giants have played two, one, two, top of the table, eight points, no need, no problems, and a net net run rate of one point two six. The Paul Royals have played two, one, two, they're second, also eight points from their two games maximum points, and they're the only two teams that have got maximum points. Uh, MIK Town, they've got a bonus point to give them five points, uh, having played two, one, one, lost one. And then uh, the Sunrisers, Eastern Cape of 1-1, Jobic Super Kings of 1-1, and Pretoria Capitals have played two, lost two. So that's the log at the moment. And as I say, a couple of fixtures coming up through the course of this week. Now, there was other cricketing action uh, over the weekend. Let me give you those results as well. Sri Lanka uh, won by three wickets against Zimbabwe. Last ball victory for them. They were chasing 144. They got it off the very last ball after Zimbabwe scored 143 for five in their 20 overs. Uh, India were far too good for Afghanistan. Afghanistan bowled out for 172. India got those 173 they needed for victory in 15 overs and four balls, winning by six wickets. And New Zealand, too good for Pakistan. They beat them by 21 runs. Pakistan, 173 all out in 19 overs and three balls, in reply to the New Zealand's total of 194 for eight. Then the Eastern Storm lost to the Limpopa Impalas. The Impalas winning by 63 runs. That was a very good performance by them indeed. 
And then Friday, New Zealand against Pakistan, the first of the T20s, New Zealand won that one by 46 runs as well. So that's the cricketing action, and that are the results for you so far. Okay, so a couple of interesting stories coming out right now of the Australian Open. Uh, Started yesterday, of course. And Novak Djokovic uh, took his first step towards Grand Slam history, but he survived a very fierce test against the 18-year-old Dino Prismic at the Aussie Open. He's looking for a historic 25th Grand Slam victory, but defending women's champion Arena Sabalenka, she beat her opponent 6-love and 6-1. 90 wins now in Melbourne for number one in the world, Djokovic. He's gunning for an 11th Australian Open title to pull clear of Margaret Court on the all-time list of majors. He won 6-2-6-7-6-3-6-4, but it was nowhere near what the score sounds like. It was an extraordinary match, um, and there were unbelievable scenes of jubilation and applause for the young kid who lost, and I must be honest with you, Djokovic stood on the court for a good 30 seconds, pointing to his opponent and giving him a round of applause, something that I've never seen him do before. Um, it's a 29-match winning run in Melbourne. He was expected to breeze through the opening round against a qualifier who is half his age, but after coasting to the first set, he was given an examination by the youngster who leveled the match in a tie-break. Remember, Djokovic loses tie-breaks. Brilliant, brilliant performance. And that went on for an awful long time. Eventually, the uh, second-seeded Sabalenka took the court after half-past 11. Now, remember, they've brought the tournament forward to start on Sunday so they don't have late finishes. Well, luckily for the crowd and for her, she brought the curtain down on day one with a 6-love, 6-1 win in just over an hour. So the Belarusian world number two, was on court, raced through the first set in 22 minutes. Um, she was denied a rare double bagel, which is six love, six love, but made no mistake on her own serve to seal victory in 53 minutes. Now, the men's seed, uh, fifth seed, Andrei Rublev, was given a mighty scare when he had two sets up and cruising against the Brazilian Tiago Sebus Wild. His 78th-ranked opponent refused to lie down and broke in the third and fourth sets, a tantalizing decider against the two-time quarterfinalist. Rublev failed to convert four match points. Former champion Caroline Wozniacki, she progressed when Polish 20th seed Magda Lenet retired injured while trading 6-2 and 2-love. Wozniacki, who won the title in Melbourne in 2018, came out of retirement last year following the birth of her two children. And Stefanos Tsitsipas was given a brief scare by the lucky loser Zizou Bars before roaring back to win his first round match today, Monday at the Australian Open 5-7-6-1-6-1-6-3. The seven-seeded Greek last year's runner-up in Melbourne had been due to face 2021 Wimbledon finalist Matteo Berrettini, but withdrew with an injury on the eve of the match three-time Grand Slam champion Stanislas Wawrinka says he has no plans to quit after losing in the first round today. He also hopes to be back at next year's tournament, aged 39. The Swiss star beat Rafa Nadal to win the opening Grand Slam of the year a decade ago, looked on course for an upset of fellow veteran Adrian Manarino, but he lost 11 of the last 12 games to crash out to the 20th seed from France, 6-4, 3-6, 5-7, 6-3, 
and Six Love. Wawrika has been on the tour since 2002. He's won 16 titles, including the Australian Open, the French Open, and the US Open. His Grand Slam winning days might be over, but he is definitely not out of playing tennis. He's going to be there for a long, long time to come. And then one more result from today. Wimbledon champion Marketa Vandrusova is out at the first hurdle. She was beaten by the Ukrainian qualifier Diana Yastremska, 6-1 and 6-2. The Czech seventh seed pulled out of the warm-up in Adelaide International last week with a hip injury and her court movement appeared to be impaired in Melbourne. So unfortunately for her, no luck. Coco Goff eased into the second round, beating the unseeded Anna Karolina Schmidlova, 6-3 and 6-love on a one-sided affair on center court. So she's on course as well. She plays Caroline Dollarhide in the second round. And Lloyd Harris, the South African, also, unfortunately for him, Knocked out in the first round of the tournament, or yesterday, um, out of the tournament, unfortunately. Okay, so let's move our attention now to the world of golf. There was a bit of action over the weekend. And Grayson Murray sank a 38-foot birdie putt on the first extra hole to win a three-man playoff at the PGA Tour Sony Open. A stunning personal comeback. The 30-year-old American who battled back from alcohol abuse and mental issues beat his countryman Keegan Bradley and the South Korean An Byung-hun to capture his second career tour title. And uh, there was a pretty decent um, fight on the DP World Tour. Tommy Fleetwood um, conjured up a birdie-birdie finish to deny Rory McIlroy and win the Dubai Invitational. Fleetwood enjoyed a one-shot lead over McIlroy going into the fourth round and a model of consistency until he gave up the lead after a bogey at the 16th. He was still a shot back on the 18th tee after he and McIlroy both birdied the 17th. But as the Northern Irishman found the water and made a bogey, Fleetwood holds from 16 feet, 19 under, and a 7th TP World title. South African Thurston Lawrence finished alongside McElroy at 18 under, two clear of England's Jordan Smith and three ahead of the 2018 British Open champion Francesco Molinari. It was almost a three-way tie at the end of that one. Uh, if it wasn't for Fleetwood's birdie, the three of them, Thurston, Lawrence, McElroy, and Fleetwood, would have gone into a uh, sudden death. Okay, so uh, that's the other sports out, or most of the other sport out of the way. It's turn our attention out of football. And it got underway, and it had started. But a day of shocks, rock African football. Nigeria and Egypt were both held to draws. Ghana suffered a loss at the Cup of Nations finals in Ivory Coast yesterday. Nigeria drew one all with Equatorial Guinea. Egypt needed a 97th-minute Mo Salah penalty to rescue a point and deny Mozambique a first-ever Cup of Nations victory. And Ghana's Black Stars walked away with nothing after a late goal saw them slip to a 2-1 loss to the tiny Cup Verde Islands. Immediately put them on the back foot, having been dumped out in the pool stages in Cameroon two years ago. Mozambique were just seconds away from one of the greatest shocks in Cup of Nations history, but couldn't see the game out. A Salah netted his penalty off the post, I might add, to earn the seven-time winners Egypt a 
all draw. That after the opening game of the tournament saw the Ivory Coast completely, completely outplay their opponents. They only won by two goals to nil. But having said that, they were look a very, very good outfit. They really, really, really look a good outfit to the Ivory Coast. I know it's still early in the competition, uh, but they two nil victors over Guinea-Bissau. Um, amazing performance. Now, today, there are a couple of matches. Uh, currently underway, Senegal against Gambia. Uh, tonight at 7, Cameroon play Guinea. And then at 10 o'clock tonight, Algeria will take on Angola. Tomorrow, Burkina Faso play Mauritania. Tunisia play Namibia. And Mali take on South Africa's Bafana Bafana. Now, there was also action on the uh, football fields this weekend in the Premier League. Now, I know this might sound a little bit strange, but it's uh, the so-called Premier League winter break, which is why there were five matches this weekend. And then those 10 teams that played this weekend won't play next weekend as the other 10 teams will have a chance to play. So Manchester United, who uh, welcomed their club's new owner, Jim Jim Ratcliffe to Old Trafford, uh, they tried to welcome him with a win. But Spurs, who they played, came back from behind twice to claim a two-all draw. He was intended in attendance for the first time since agreeing the deal to take a 25% stake of the English Giants for $1.3 billion. Goals for United forwards in the Premier League have been short supply at Old Trafford, but both Rasmus Hoyland and Marcus Rashford struck in the first half either side of the Brazilian Richarlison's equaliser. So that was a good point for United, because I can tell you they didn't deserve anything out of the game yesterday. Now, if they'd lost, um, it would have been the 11th loss of the season for the manager, Eric Ten Hag. And here's an interesting stat for you. No United manager has ever survived in his job with more than 10 losses in a season. Hmm. So, Mr. Ten Hag... You better get your act together. And the other game yesterday, boring, boring. Everton and Aston Villa drew nil-nil. Actually, wasn't so boring. I must say there were quite a few chances in the game. But I guess it was boring in terms of nil-nil compared to Saturday night's game. Newcastle versus Manchester City. Five goals. It was just end-to-end stuff the way we absolutely love the Premier League. And you know what? When Manchester United were champions, they used to score in what they called Fergie time. And that was quite often criticised, uh, that referees took too long to blow the final whistle, blah, blah, blah. No, it's nothing to do with that. It's the fact that champions don't know how to lie down. And Manchester City proved that. They won by three goals to two, scoring in the final seconds of the game to come back on a number of occasions. one nil down, one all, 2 2-1, 2-0, 3-2 victors. And a tremendous performance by Manchester City. Watch out for them. They're on a bit of a roll at the moment. And then Chelsea at Fulham by a goal to nil in the West London derby. And on Friday evening, Burnley were very unlucky. Town scored in the dying seconds of that game to pull a one-all result out of the bag. So bearing in mind that there are teams, and I'll tell you who they are, have to play this weekend coming up. So Liverpool were always going to be top of the table, irrespective of what happened. They have 45 points from their 20 games. Uh, Manchester City also played 20. They have 43. But then Aston Villa is slipping back now, also 20, uh, 43, but they've played one game more than Liverpool and Manchester City. Arsenal have played 20. They have 40 points, as do Spurs, but they've played 21 games West Ham, 34 points from their 20. Manchester United in seventh position, 21 games, 32 points. 
with Brighton and Chelsea and Newcastle making up the top 10. The bottom of the table, Sheffield United have got their nine points from 20 games, Burnley 12 points from 21, and Luton Town just above them, 16 points from 20 games, with Everton's 21 games played, 17 points. Remember, of course, they were docked 10 points, were Everton. And before we leave, let me tell you about the fixtures. Coming up on Saturday, a London derby between Arsenal and Crystal Palace at half past two. At half past seven, Brentford play Nottingham Forest. And then on Sunday, Sheffield United play West Ham. Bournemouth play Liverpool. And after that, it's Monday evening action, Brighton against Wolverhampton Wanderers. That is it for our review for this Monday evening. Hope you have enjoyed it, and we will talk to you again tomorrow with Neil Brand, the captain of the South African cricket team that are currently on their way to New Zealand. Lovely interview. We have recorded it for you, so we will talk to him tomorrow evening, and I promise you I've asked him no questions with regards to the captaincy or non-captaincy of the South African under-19 team to play in the ICC Cricket World Cup. That is tonight's edition. Be nice to each other as always, and bye for now.